Well, you might have noticed when I came in, I was carrying my crowbar. Maybe you didn't. And um, just just to recap from a couple weeks ago, I was talking about how they prophesied that the Messiah would come with an iron scepter. And a scepter, I was trying to figure out like what that is. And I was trying to look online, can you buy one? You know, Because I like to show up with my sword when I talk about King David. And what's a good iron scepter? And it's not a walking stick. It's a short little thing. And it's really just like a magic wand or a little... I mean, it's just a little short thing that they would hold, a scepter. And it was a symbol of their authority. And I was like, but iron, come on. So I did a little bit more research. And you guys, really, like me showing up here with the crowbar is kind of accurate. Because you know how you're kind of uneasy? Like what... The only place this should be is on a construction site or in a car garage. And if somebody shows up carrying one of these somewhere else, it's a weapon. It's a shoo the dogs away. It's a get off my lawn. Something like that. It is not, this is not a welcome. I mean, I, there's no way I can hold this that's like, if I walked into Walmart, I would get everybody's attention, Right. And I thought, this really is a good, especially because it's not a new one. Like, this one's seen some action. And, uh, and that kind of kicks off where we're going to begin today with Christmas. That this king would come. As soon as he's born, he's going to rule forever. And he's going to have an iron scepter. And he means business. I'm not going to hold that anymore. That thing is heavy. That is a heavy-duty... Let's see if I can make a mess up here again. So we're going to start with Micah chapter 5. And you've heard this around Christmas time before. And it fits. And remember we talked about Mary and Joseph. We talked about the culture that they lived in, the things that they had heard, the things that they knew. Micah was a prophet in about uh, 680 to maybe 700 B.C., there's stuff that Micah said that Jeremiah and Hosea and Isaiah all quote Micah. So they were like, they heard each other. They heard about each other's prophecies. And so the Assyrians are coming, and the Jewish people have been turning to idolatry, and they aren't repenting, and they aren't turning, and Micah is trying to get them all to turn, and he's a lot like Isaiah, where he's got a whole bunch of correction, and a whole bunch of, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, but God is going to rescue you in the end. And he says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Like the armies are coming, and he says, get your groups, get your army together. And this little muster your troops, O daughter of troops, is, is kind of an offense. It's kind of a dig. Because um, he's saying daughter of troops. And there's a, a play on words and they kind of rhyme. And he's like, get your army together, all you little girls. 
Like, put down your Barbies and pick up your swords. So he's kind of jabbing at them. And they're going to strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. He says Bethlehem Ephrathah. There were two different Bethlehems. It was kind of like Washington. Like you can go to Washington, Indiana. You can go to Washington, Louisiana. You can go to Washington, South Carolina. There were two known Bethlehem that we know about today. One was up in Galilee, oddly enough, but it had a whole different word at the end of it. And Bethlehem Ephrathah was the city where King David was born, son of Jesse, and all of his sons. Like that, that was that Bethlehem Ephrathah, and it was really close to Jerusalem. It was like, uh, like you can go there today and stay in a hotel in, in Jerusalem and make hop on a little bus from your hotel and go to Bethlehem, spend the whole day in Bethlehem, and zip back to Jerusalem and have dinner. Like it's not, it's nothing. It's no, it's no big trip at all. Um, even for people walking in their day, Bethlehem Ephratha was, uh, you know, it might take you all day to walk to it because it's not a straight shot, but it's not, it's not that far. But it's little. It's a tiny town. It's like. It's even more like Farmersburg or Yankee Town or Dogtown, where you only know it's there because somebody put a tavern there. Bethlehem is little. And so when this prophet, these armies are coming and we're doomed and let's get an army together, but we just got an army of little girls. I mean, we, we just can't even fight. Don't worry. From you, Bethlehem, wait a minute. From like, there's some this little tiny town. Yes, one will come forth from you for me. God says, who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, and the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock. So there's all this mixed language, right? And you're kind of like, what? Are you talking about all over the place? <laughs> shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. They shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. So he's prophesying, and remember in prophecy, time doesn't really make sense. It's just all happening. And he's prophesying that the one that's going to come out of Bethlehem is going to gather everybody, all of his sheep, and shepherd them, and they're spread out all over the world. So at this time, some of the Jewish people were spread. There had been wars already. Samaria you know, had been taken and re-inhabited with all these other people from all over the world. Some Jewish people were carried off to, to, to Assyria already, and um, they were already starting to lose their identity. 
Well, they're losing it more. They lose it more when they get hauled off to Babylon, which hasn't happened just yet. When the Assyrian comes into our land, treads on our places, he will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. Just a perfect number of princes against him. They'll shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod at its entrances. He shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. So they start to get this. He's saying the Messiah is going to beat the bad guys and take over our land. So you have that in mind too. Then the remnant of Jacob will be in the midst of many people. The remnant of Jacob, the people who still follow God and believe, are going to be mixed in with people all over the world. Like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man or wait for the children of man. You know how you're getting ready to go somewhere and you're like, we have to beat the rain and there's just no negotiating. The rain is coming. There's no negotiating here. God's people are going to be spread all over the place. And when they're spread all over the place and they're in every single place, they're going to be brought to him. The remnant of Jacob will be among the nations in the midst of many people. Remember in the scripture, in the Old Testament, whenever they talk about nations, it's not just geographically all over. It's those Gentiles, the unbelievers. That God's people are going to be thoroughly mixed in among all these unbelievers all over the world. Just like it was so exciting where we took a little short vacation. We go to Nashville. We're in this bluegrass bar and they have this show. And the lady that's the bass player talks about the fiddle player is her sister in Christ. And she's been singing hymns. And it was like, okay, all of a sudden Jesus shows up at 10.05 at night on a Thursday in a bluegrass bar. There are people all over the place that are believing in Jesus, that are seeking him out. And the Holy Spirit is, is mustering them. He's always been mustering them. He's, he's continually mustering them, right? I'm going to skip down. Verse 10, In that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you. I'll destroy your chariots. I'll cut off the cities and your land. I'll throw down all your strongholds. He's talking to the enemy. The enemy is going to be defeated. I'll cut off your carved images, your pillars from among you, and you will bow down no more to the work of your hands. You're no longer going to worship idols because all the idols are going to be destroyed. So Mary and Joseph are going to have a baby. And they've heard that he's going to be the Messiah. And they've heard that he's going to save people from his sins. He was announced by an angel. Mary, Gabriel talked to Mary and, and proclaimed this stuff to her. Um, Joseph had dreams where he saw angels and proclaimed this. And so they're trying to just wrap their head around, you know, our baby's going to be a prophet. But things start to happen and you think he's a little bit more than a prophet, right? The angel told Mary, um, you're going to have a child and he's going to be the son of God. The son of God. 
that that's just a huge big deal in their culture a son was equivalent to the dad there was no there's no difference and so if a um, if a man was going to sell land and he was busy he could send his son to sell the land or to buy the land and he could sign for it and he could sign the dad's name and it would be just like the dad came and signed for the property and, and bought the land. And sometimes people might be offended. Why didn't he come himself? Why didn't he send his son? But for the purposes of ownership and legality, it was equal. There was no difference. Which is really like... You better trust your son, right? <laughs> He's got all the authority that you have when he goes and buys something. So Matthew and Luke both talk about the events. And I know I usually really like to look for all, and I'll probably do this a little bit. I like to look for all the things that aren't obvious. And I like to dive into history and dive into commentaries. And the more I was looking at, the more I was like, can we just take it, let's try as much as we can to take it at face value and look at what it says and just stick with that. So I know that's off course for me, but we're going to try it. We're going to see how it goes. So Matthew 2, he says, The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Matthew gives the shortest little bit. The first half of Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy of Jesus. He came this, he came to this, he came to this. The thing is, that was a really big deal. Their genealogy, in their culture, in their day, you would be able to recite that genealogy. You would have to be able to recite that genealogy because it's almost like a password. It's almost like a, a big, long passcode that would connect you. You know, If you show up at a place, this happens a lot now, right? People show up and they're like, where'd you go to high school? People come to Evansville for Christmas. They're like, where'd you go to high school? You know, you're in town. Are you from around here? And if you can say, yeah, I went to Wright's, you've already started to break the code. You know, if, if you're in the right place, I should say. When did you graduate? Graduated in 92. Who is your coach? Who is your teacher? And you start naming teachers and you start, and we all have this memorized, right? You, you all know where you went to high school. You know what year you graduated. You could probably name maybe three teachers, maybe the principal, maybe some other classmates. So all of those names and all of that stuff that you have memorized is in here because this is what they would memorize, is their, their lineage, their genealogy, to be able to identify themselves. So it's not... Anytime you think it, it would be so hard to memorize all this stuff, it would be so hard to know all this stuff, this was the world they lived in. This was the culture they did to memorize all these things. Just like probably a couple people in here could recite a lot of lyrics from Hey Jude or uh, one of y'all's hee-haw, some, some hee-haw songs, right? So, genealogy of Jesus, there he is. The birth of Jesus takes place and it's established that he is a descendant of King David. They're going to have a child. Joseph has the dream. 
he's spoken to. The angel says to him in a dream, Joseph, son of David. He's reestablishing, Joseph, you are part of this line. She'll bear a son, you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. That happens in Matthew. And that's almost all you get. In Luke, thanks to Charlie Brown, everybody gets to hear this every year if they watch the Charlie Brown Christmas, right? In those days, this Luke chapter 2, if you want to read this at your family gatherings, it's an ace in the hole. Few people are going to argue with you. Can we read a the Christmas story from the Bible? You go to Luke 2 and go for it. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all went up to be registered, each to his own town. What is so great about this is it establishes a time that historians have tracked back and they figured out when this is, that this actually existed. This really happened at a date. The bad news is, in these days, maybe all the time, you only took a census for two things, war and taxes. You wanted to know how many people you had to rule over and how much money you should be getting from them. Now, in the United States, we've kind of standardized it that we have a census every 10 years. Some of it, you could argue, is still for war and taxes. This, this oppressed time that they lived in is our kind of time. Because, gosh, all the trouble that they would have to go to. Joseph, it says, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So Nazareth, if I had my map, Nazareth is way up in the north. And they have to travel way down into the south to get to Bethlehem. This would not be your day trip in a bus. This is four days, four, maybe five days, if you're walking for eight hours a day. And I have some experience with pregnant women. And I bet that they would not be walking eight hours a day. The, uh, the Christmas shows and the Christmas movies and the pictures all show Mary riding on a donkey. That probably wasn't likely because they would have to have a whole bunch of money to do that. And a little bit later, we find out that they're really poor. So they probably walked it. No judgment on all the pictures that have donkeys on them. Whatever. But they didn't have a donkey. Uh... So it's a four-day hike. Terribly inconvenient. They, they, are, they have not gone through COVID lockdowns yet, so they, he can't work remote. So everybody has to leave their work, has to leave what they're doing, has to leave wherever they're actually living and go back to their hometowns to get counted the right way. Gosh. Like, inconvenient, right? They go back to Bethlehem, 
And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. So he probably could have made the journey all by himself and gotten counted and left her in Nazareth. But then she'd be having a baby by herself and travel is unpredictable. And so they're, they're sticking together. We don't know how many other people were coming back to Bethlehem at this time. But we know that they didn't live there. They lived in Nazareth. That was their hometown. When she came and visited Elizabeth a couple months before this, right? Elizabeth and Zechariah, they lived really close to Jerusalem because Zechariah worked at the temple. So he's, he's not making a four-day trek every day. They, they live, there's a site today. You can go there, be a tourist, and go see the home. And there's a church built on it and all that business. It's probably their house. We don't know. But, um, but it would have been a lot closer to Jerusalem. So Mary and Joseph are living way up north in Nazareth. They travel all the way down to Bethlehem. Who knows how many other people are traveling to Bethlehem. But Bethlehem is really close to Jerusalem. But it's not where Elizabeth and Zechariah live. They make all this travel. And all of a sudden, it's time for her to have a baby. Says so she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And there's all kinds of arguments about what this meant. Were they in a cave? Were they in uh, the little um, little barn looking thing? So the barn looking thing was invented in the 1200s by Francis of Assisi with the cows and the sheep and your whole that scene. And we have them all over our house. You know, the nativity scene. That could be, it's not probably not likely, just because that was a, a 1200s idea to help people to see and act out Jesus being born and to celebrate that. He could have been born where the shepherds would keep the, the sheep that they had for the sacrifice for the Passover and they would wrap it up and keep it in the trough, in the food trough, so it wouldn't hurt itself and wouldn't be injured because it had to be spotless. This could have been in the guest room of the house because a lot of the words here used refer to sort of, um, there's a guest room, but then there's also the place where you kept all your animals in your house. And since the whole place was so packed that they had to sleep down where the animals were on the straw and all that business. All of this is completely different for us culturally, right? If we, if we were cowboys that were sleeping out every night as we're moving our cattle, um, to sleep out with the animals would be no big deal. It would hit differently. The point of all of this is, it's so wild, there's so many details left out. Let's look at the details that are in. It was super inconvenient for them to have to travel and have a baby. It was super weird that they had to lay this baby in a manger because there's no room in the inn or in the house or there's no place for them. But God enters this scene in the middle of a oppressive census for war and taxes to this family that is completely unpredicted 
into this town that is little, tiny, and dinky to fulfill that he is going to be the king that's going to rule with an iron scepter. That he is going to make everything right. He's going to wipe out all the bad guys and reign. He's going to draw everybody in. He starts in this just awful, awful circumstances. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. A lot of people think that this happened during Passover, during the Passover season, because that's when the shepherds would be out all night. All the sheep are having baby sheep. All these sheep are getting born, and you want to be there. These shepherds, these guys were ex-cons. These guys were poor. These were just the worst jobs to have and, um, and kind of the worst people. And they're out. And they're taking care of these sheep. And it's dark. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. So if this light isn't bright enough, I just walk back there and hit that little slider and it gets bright and now everything's cool and we move on. These guys didn't have anything like that at all. You would, if you lit fire, you would hold on to your fire. You would keep something burning so that when you wanted fire, you didn't have to go to all the trouble of making fire from scratch. I mean, it's not like cavemen, but it's definitely not like fire up your lighter or move the slider. It's dark. It is dark, and angels are terrifying because they light up. <laughs> If for no other reason they're terrifying because they light up. But they're in the sky. And angels, spirits, these things, every time they show up in the Bible, somebody dies. It is bad, bad news. And so there they are. They are probably having a completely normal night. A completely uneventful, boring night. Run-of-the-mill night. It's probably not easy. Sometimes sheep die. They're, that's why they're trying to tend to them. They're watching them. Sometimes animals come and will eat the sheep, and you got to pull its lip out of the wolf's mouth to show to the owner, look, all I can say was its lips. I mean, whatever. And then this thing, this being, shows up in the sky... And the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord shows up like fire in the Bible. So the sky is on fire. What? An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold... This is so funny, like this language. We don't talk like this. Behold! It's like, listen, you guys. Hey, okay, don't be afraid. Listen. It's, it's that kind of an add-in. Listen, listen. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. This is all so awesome. I give you great news is all one word. And it's the same word we get evangelism from. It is the proclaiming of good news. They had a word for that. Like when you hear, I've got some news. 
do you think I'm going to say something good or do you think I'm going to say something bad, right? Sometimes people say, I have bad news. They had one word that meant, I'm going to tell you something that's great. I'm going to proclaim something that's great. It was already implied that it was true. It was already implied that all I have to do is say what it is. I don't have to convince you. It's all wrapped up in that, in that word phrase. I have good news of great joy. That you're going to hear it and you're going to be so happy. I would, just think about things that you have heard. Maybe somebody's going to have a baby. Maybe somebody recovered from something. Maybe somebody arrived somewhere. Or they got through something. And you were just so relieved. Or you were so happy. This terrifying being that's lighting up, there's fire all around us, or light all around us in the middle of the dark, and it says, I have good news for you that's going to bring you great joy, that's just going to thrill you out of your mind for all people, for everybody. Unto you, shepherds, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is the rescuer. He is the Joshua. Like you guys thought Joshua was awesome because we got all this land. This is the Joshua. This is the one that God has chosen. This is the chosen one. Not talking tongue-in-cheek, not talking sarcastic. This is the one God wants to do this. And he's born in the city of David. Here's how you'll know. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Kind of weird. Cloths not weird. Lying in a manger is weird, right? They have just a moment to think about what he just said. What this angel just said. So the baby just got born. This is just the beginning. And he's all wrapped up and he's He's laying in a manger. Okay. Then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. There's a, a preacher named Chuck Missler, and he says, whenever you hear in the Bible the heavenly host, that means army. So whenever you hear host, you need to hear armor clanking and troops. This is a, a military, aggressive power word for the heavenly host. There was with an angel a multitude of the host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So they thought there were three levels of the world. There's the heavens where God and the angels and, and spirits and deities live. There's where we are and man and people and animals and stuff. And then there's the underworld where the people, where you go when you die, the down below in the depths. And these angels are saying, glory to God in the highest, glory to God in all of those upper realms, and peace on all the earth. Peace all over. This good has come to the whole, the whole universe, right? 
that would have been terrifying too. The whole sky is full of these beings, and they're all shouting, glory to God in the highest. And Where do they come from? We, I mean, like, yeah, there's just so many questions. We know they were there. They were all shouting. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They wanted to go check it out. God wanted to be with us. And so he gets born into this terrible, terrible political situation, terrible economic situation, just terribly difficult traveling situation, difficult housing situation, difficult conflict. I mean, just a few months earlier, Joseph was thinking about divorcing Mary and sending her off on her own. Just conflict, conflict, conflict. And God says, I want to be in the middle of all of this. This is how I'm going to be born. These shepherds hear about this Savior, this Joshua, this Rescuer, this God-saver, and they say, let's go check this out. This is the response that God wanted. This is He shows up and he wants to be around everybody. The angels celebrate it, and the right response is, I want to check him out. I want to go see. What in the world? What happened to all their sheep? It's the middle of the night. Like We, we don't get that part of the story. Where, how far did they have to go? They probably didn't have to go very far, but it's still nighttime when they get there and they go see it. They would not have left, I mean, you guys, leaving thousands, if not millions of dollars of cars with the car door open and the keys in the ignition is what it's like to leave a whole bunch of sheep in the middle of the night to go see what is happening, right? This is the, the valet, the valet parking at the expensive hotel has just been abandoned and all the keys are there. And they're going to check to see this thing. They went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. This is what gets to the idea that, that he was. they were at this significant place where they kept the sheep because they were able to find where they were. They didn't just go house to house, right? There, there's some, some way that it was easier for them to find. When they saw it, it the baby lying in the manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So they show up. Mary and Joseph are like, what in the world? We're just trying to have a baby here. We don't need all your shepherd nastiness in our manger. I don't know. That's, that's not in there. But they tell him. They tell him. We were out in the field. There is an angel. There's all this glory. Like everything was lit up. If you've talked to any very excited group of 15-year-old boys before, you know how this went. And they're all, and this, and that, and this. And we saw this thing, and this thing. It just That's what I picture in this whole scene. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. 
This line right here is what helps us think, yeah, maybe they weren't alone in a cave. Maybe they weren't alone out in some barn because there were other people there while she was having the baby that heard it. There were other people that heard this. They might have been on the way. They might have been going back. But there were other people that heard this stuff and heard these guys. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, she's not included in the all who heard it. And it's not talking about Joseph as all. There were more people there. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This is a tiny town. All their houses are close together. You get a whole bunch of shepherds running into town to see something that are all carrying on about how they saw angels out in the field and the whole sky was lit up. Everybody's going to hear about it. People are going to hear about this. Especially because they're all packed in and they're all figuring out what's going on because there's a census going on anyway. Jesus, they wait eight days. Um, he is circumcised and they do all the ceremonies. They're supposed to bring an offering for the child. And they're supposed to bring a, a lamb. But it says in Deuteronomy, uh, no, Leviticus, but if you're poor, you can bring two turtle doves. You can bring two doves. And it says that's what they brought. And so that's how we know that they're poor. We know elsewhere that Joseph was a righteous man. We know that Mary was a righteous woman. So they would not be ripping off God by trying to cheat out and, and just pay the cheap way, right? Uh, yeah, my kid's 13. I need the kid's rate. But the kid's really 14. They weren't doing that. So if they were really poor, they could bring a grain offering. But they didn't bring a grain offering. So I'm not like using this to preach that they were middle class or anything. I'm just saying they were poor. They were not dirt poor. But they were poor. They give the offering... There's this guy at the temple. This is the last, last guy I'm going to talk about today. There's this guy at the temple. And his name is Simeon. And he was kind of a prophet. This is all still in Luke 2. Um, where they bring the number two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel, the Messiah. When everything gets made right, we don't have these stupid Romans ruling over us and taxing us anymore. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. Remember in Micah 5 when he said, I'm going to gather all the people that believe all over the world that are spread out like dew amongst all the nations. 
He's not just going to pull them out and let the nations be destroyed. He's going to gather all the people because he's got them among the nations to talk about him. And this is exactly what happened on Pentecost. Because all the people from all the nations, all the Jewish people that came to Jerusalem, heard Peter and heard John proclaiming things about God in their own languages, and then they went back. And the Jewish dispersion all over the world helped lead to the gospel being spread all over the world. So that 57 years later, what? Yes. 57 years later, the Apostle Paul would write to the Romans, and he would say, From Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David, according to the flesh. Paul is reinforcing he is a descendant from David and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ. That this baby, this king, is going to die and get raised from the dead, and through him we have received grace and apostleship. We've received grace that we're saved and in his family. We've received apostleship that we are now commissioned to go and tell everybody. Where? Like dew on the grass among all the nations. To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So God wanted to be with us. He is born into a horrible situation, just like we, we all experience in our lives. And then he lives in us, and he says his last words before he ascended to heaven, all power and authority has been given to me, therefore go make disciples. You go be among all those people, just like I've been among you, to get ready to gather them all up together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the grace of your coming and the grace of your living among us, living a perfect life in communion with God. Thank you so much for just showing us how much you want to be close to us. Being born in such horrible circumstances, in such a horrible place, at such a horrible time, amongst such horrible people. And thank you for being among us, even when we're horrible, and showing us your grace and giving us the gift of apostleship that we can be a part of your plan and a part of your kingdom. We thank you, we praise you, and we honor you, Lord. Amen.